I hope you have your places there now in chapter 21 of Numbers. We are going to look at a very unique story today. If you've not been with us as a church body, we are right now chronologically reading the Bible together. We are looking at the different events that take place in the order that they took place so that we may have a deeper understanding of God's redemptive work. My prayer for you as we walk through the Bible together chronologically reading it is that you would be able to identify yourself in the redemptive story. The Bible is God's redemptive story. From the very fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, God puts into place a plan to redeem mankind back unto himself. As you read through the stories of the Old Testament, different stories give us an opportunity to get a glance or a glimpse of God's redemption story as it unfolds before our very eyes. Now, this one is a very unique story, and we read it some time back, so I want to refresh your memory. I have entitled this sermon, you may have read it earlier in the messenger, I am calling it The Good Snake. The Good Snake. Now, some of you may think, oh my goodness, that is an oxymoron. And you know what? It is. The word good and snake should never appear in a sentence together unless you say the only good snake is a dead snake, and then I would agree with you. You know, I'm that kind of guy. I don't stop along the way to try to discover what kind of snake it is. I kill them, I let God sort them out, all right? That's the way I look at it. The only good snake is a dead snake. This morning, I want to change your mind about that. Because there is a story that is found in the Old Testament about a good snake. If you have your Bibles there, follow along with me as we begin to read in verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the sea, or to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. This is the children of Israel. They are still wandering in the wilderness. They are almost to the point of returning back to the promised land. If you remember some of the context, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were in slavery, brought them to the promised land. However, they were a rebellious people, and rather than stepping out in faith and taking the inheritance that God gave them, they backed up in unbelief. And so God judges them. The judgment is harsh, is severe, as it always is with sin. The consequences of sin are horrible in the life of any person. Forty years, one year for every day that the spies spent in the promised land, the children of Israel would wander in the wilderness. Forty years until the entire generation died off. This is the new generation. They are almost at the point of returning to the promised land. They've just experienced this great victory. God has given them a victory over their great nemesis, the Canaanite people. Now you would think as a result of that victory, the children of Israel would have been celebrating, praising God for what has happened. But that's not what's taking place here. 
Listen to what he says. From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They were ungrateful for the provision that God has given them. They sin against God. But I would tell you this morning, their sin goes much deeper than just being ungrateful for the provision that God gives them. Because you see, the food that God provided the children of Israel in the wilderness, the manna, was actually a type. It symbolized something else. It represented it. It represented Jesus Christ. We know this is true from the very words of Jesus himself in John chapter 6. We've been walking through the gospel of John. What did Jesus say? How did Jesus Christ announce himself to the crowd? He said, I am the what? The bread of life is what he says. Our greatest spiritual need is met in Jesus Christ. He is our provision. So when they look at the manna that God has provided for them, a type that represents the Son of God, they are rejecting the Son of God. As a result of that, God is going to judge them. I'm going to tell you what, this is a serious sin. And because God is holy, God must always judge sin. So listen to what happens in this story. It's very unique. So go there to with me to verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Now the fiery serpent there, the word fiery probably refers to the type of bite. The poison, it probably felt like fire is what they experienced when they were bit by the serpents. It's not necessarily meaning that the serpents were fire. That's not what it's meaning. It's referring to the poison, to the bite. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now I want you to see this. I want you to see how gracious and merciful God is in his response to the children of Israel. Now listen, they've just referred to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as worthless. Can you imagine that? And listen to how God is going to respond. Listen to verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Isn't that a crazy story? I mean, when I read this story, I have so many questions. Don't you? I mean, think about this. Moses take a serpent, 
made of bronze, put it on top of a pole, and when the people look up at the pole, everybody who looks in faith will be healed. That is so bizarre to me when I think about this story. And when I approach this story, I am left with so many questions. Exactly what in the world is God trying to teach the children of Israel in this passage of Scripture? I mean, why a snake on top of a pole? Why did the snake have to be made out of bronze? Wouldn't it have been good enough if Moses would have just carved a snake and put it on top of the pole? Why bronze? Why are all of these details included in this story? Let me answer some of those questions for you this morning. Why a snake and why did the snake have to be bronze? Well, first... The snake was bronze to reserve or to serve as a reminder of God's judgment and forgiveness of sin. What's unique is this the altar in the tabernacle where burnt offerings were made was constructed of bronze. The snake on top of the pole made out of bronze was a visual reminder of the forgiveness that could be found in God. It wasn't a mistake that God was very detailed with his children and with Moses. Second, the snake served as a type, a type of Christ. Now remember what a type is. A type symbolizes something else. And that was surely true in this story. We know that the bronze snake was a type of Jesus because Jesus said it was. How many of you remember the story when we looked at it in John chapter 3? The story of Nicodemus. Do you remember that story? How Nicodemus, a very religious man who had great wealth, he was a leader, had great power, came to Jesus Christ at night. And he says to Jesus Christ, Jesus, we know that you're from God. No one could do the things that you do if you weren't from God. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, listen, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, no man will see the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end of the story, Jesus Christ makes this statement to Nicodemus. Just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The bronze serpent on the pole served as an illustration of Jesus' substitutionary death at the cross. It was a type. Now, the question rises here, well, why in the world would God tell Moses to make it in the form of a serpent, a snake? I mean, you would think that he would say, hey, carve out a little stick figure of a man and put him on top of the pole. 
But that's not what he tells him to do. He very clearly in this passage tells Moses, form a snake made out of bronze and put it on top of the pole. And the reason is, from the fall in the garden, the serpent has come to represent that which is evil, that which is wicked, sinful. On the pole, the snake represented the cure for sin. At the cross, Jesus Christ bore in His body all the wickedness, evil, and the sin of the world. He was lifted up as a cure for the sin of mankind. That's the reason why. Do you see this beautiful picture that is taking place? Over 2,000 years before Jesus Christ is ever born, before He would ever go to the cross and offer Himself as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world, we have this beautiful Old Testament picture where God is announcing the redemption of mankind to the world right here. Can you see that? Isn't that so powerful when we see this and understand what is going on in this story it would be very easy for us just to gloss over this story and look at it as strange as bizarre as something very different and miss the whole meaning of what's taking place here I will tell you the Old Testament has as much of God's grace present in it as the New Testament does. You can find God's grace on every page of the Bible. You can see Jesus Christ announced to the world on every page of the Bible. In this one story right here. God announcing that His Son, Jesus Christ, will be the substitutionary atonement for the sins of mankind. Jesus Christ is indeed the cure that ails all man. The cure for sin. Isn't that a powerful picture? When we stop and we think about that? This morning, in the next few moments, I want to make three statements about the cure that God provided for the children of Israel in this story. In these three statements, we are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, the cure was strange. Isn't that so true? When I read this story, the first thing that comes to my mind is this. This is rather bizarre. Would you agree with me on that this morning? That this is a strange story found here? As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning, it seems like something that came right out of the epi uh, an episode of the Twilight Zone. A snake on top of a stick, look at it, you're healed. Oh my goodness. We know it's a true story, but it is quite odd. Strange. Very bizarre, bizarre that we see here in this passage of Scripture. But you know what? The more I think about this story, I realize how closely it resembles the story of Calvary. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul and see if you wouldn't agree with me this morning. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, 
recorded these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than any man to the Jews and the Greeks of the first century the cross was utter foolishness only criminals died on a cross How could anyone look to a dying man on a cross and be saved? And I would say the same is still true today. Some people who are lost think, how can a man who died almost 2,000 years ago save save me? To those who are lost, the cross of Jesus Christ is utter foolishness. It is bizarre. It is strange. How in the world can God save anybody through a dead man? Do you see what I'm saying? When you look at the story and the cure that God offered the children of Israel, it was strange. It was bizarre. And I would say for many people today, Calvary is the exact same thing. But not only was it strange, The cure that God offered the children of Israel in the wilderness was sufficient. There was nothing that needed to be added. Earlier when I read the story, did you hear what God told Moses? God told Moses, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a snake of bronze and put it on top of the pole. And then tell people to look at the pole and rub some special oil on themselves and they will be cured. Is that what God said? Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. No, what he told them was this. Make that snake, put it on top of the pole, Moses, and then this is what the people need to do. They need to bring a special offering to the pole and then look up at the snake and they'll be saved. That's not what he said either, did he? No. He said to Moses, listen, make a snake, put it on top of the pole, and then tell the people, everyone who looks up at the pole where the snake is, if they look at the snake, they will be saved. That's hard to believe. Some of you may be saying, well, Brother Jeff, that's way too simple. I have to do something in order to be cured. Not according to this story. To look in faith at the bronze snake was sufficient 
for a person to be cured. Can I tell you this morning, that is the message of Calvary. The message of the cross is everything has already been done. Everything that was necessary for salvation to be complete is taken care of by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. From the cross, Jesus Christ cries out, It is finished. Do not misunderstand Jesus' words. Jesus does not cry out, I am finished. Jesus says, It is finished. Everything that is necessary for salvation to be complete is now complete in my sacrifice at the cross. Nothing else is needed. It is sufficient. The cross of Christ is sufficient for the salvation of the worst of sinners. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus Christ's sacrifice at the cross was sufficient. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. There is nothing that needs to be taken away. The only thing that is necessary is a person needs to look to Jesus Christ in faith, just like the children of Israel were told in the wilderness, look to the snake in faith and you will be cured. If a person looked, they were cured. It's just that simple. Statement number three. First, it was strange. Second, it was sufficient. Third, it was simple. It was simple. As I said earlier, it was sufficient so that nothing else was needed. Its sufficiency made it very simple. Now I want you to hear what God didn't tell the children of Israel. All right? I want you to listen. This is important because sometimes I think people have a misunderstanding of what salvation is and what is necessary for a person to be saved. He didn't tell them you have to crawl on your hands and knees over broken glass and look at the snake and you'll be saved. That's not what he said. He didn't say you need to learn some special words that you can chant perfectly as you look up at the snake and you'll be saved. He didn't say that either. He didn't say that you needed to go to some kind of special class where you learned seven steps to defeating snakes in your life. He didn't say that. He didn't say what you need to do is make a replica of the snake, put it in your tent, and then bow down before the snake every day and pray to the snake, hoping that one day in life you will get better. He didn't say any of that, did he? You know what he said? Make a snake, put it on top of the pole. Tell the people if they look up in faith at the snake, they'll be healed. I mean, it's almost so simple, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Wouldn't you agree with me? Just look up in faith and you will be saved. Just look up in faith, and you will be saved. Do you see it? Do you see the picture? 
Look up in faith. I would tell you that the gospel message is one of the simplest messages you will find anywhere. This is how the Apostle Paul summed it up in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Speaking to the church at Corinth, this is what he says, the message that I proclaim to you of first importance is this, that Jesus Christ came. He willingly went to the cross. He died in accordance with Scripture. He was buried, and on the third day he died, in, or on the third day he rose from the grave in accordance to Scripture for the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says this very clearly in the Word of God. If you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. It is man that makes the gospel message challenging, difficult, hard. The gospel message is this. Jesus did something for you and I we could never do for ourselves. He willingly went to a cruel cross. He hung there to die to pay the penalty for sin. And on the third day, God rose him back to life and anyone who is willing to put faith in him will be saved. That is the truth of the gospel message. It is that simple. It's that simple. We don't have to add anything to it. We don't have to take anything away from it. The only thing we need to do is just to hear the message. It is simple. It's just simple. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's that simple. In faith, you trust that when Jesus Christ died on that cross, He died for me personally. And apart from Jesus Christ, I am utterly hopeless and helpless. The only thing I can do is cry out to God, have mercy upon me. Please save this wretched sinner. It's that simple. I mean, when I look at this story and I see the cure, it is so strange. It's bizarre, isn't it? And at the same time, when I look at it, it is sufficient. Everything that was needed was there. Just look at the snake. And yet, as profound as the gospel message is, it is one of the simplest messages in the world. You see, this is what I've come to realize. The problem is not in the message. The problem is in the human heart. You see, people want to control their own destiny. 
run their own life, make their own decisions, not bow their knee to anyone. And as long as you think you can save yourself, I'll tell you this, Jesus can never save you. It is only when I realize I can't save myself that I can look up at a cross and cry out to a Savior who paid it all for me. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you looked to Calvary and seen the one who has hung and died for your sins? If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart and life to him, I would encourage you, let today be the day that you look to the cure for the problem that we all have. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and the truth of your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, as we come to this time of invitation this morning, I pray that people would respond in the manner that you would desire for them to respond. There's someone here today that needs to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray today would be the day that they would look to Jesus Christ in faith, trusting that when he died on the cross, he died in their place to take care of their problem. Father, you work during this time. Allow each one of us or just help each one of us to stop and examine our hearts to see where we are in our relationship with you. You work in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.